Good morning, everyone. My name is Micah. If I haven't met you before, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. I know uh, there's a lot of great mothers in our church who, who have a commitment to discipleship, who have a commitment to care. And even though all you women who aren't mothers, it's been beautiful to see how you care for our kids and many others as well. So I just want to say a heartfelt welcome and thank you to all the mothers here this morning. Now, where we're going to continue is in the book of Acts. And who knows where we are in the book of Acts today? It's a trick question because we're jumping forward a bunch and we are in the final chapter, which means today is our last Sunday in Acts. I don't see anyone crying. <laughs> I'm pretty sad about this. I have absolutely loved, loved this study together, loved hearing about what God did in the first century and second century, even through the church, and what he is even able to do today. And as we end this series together this morning, um, it's, it's been a, a beautiful time, hasn't it? Just, just permeating, hearing what God is doing, his characteristic, how he empowers the church through the spirit, how we are called to be on mission as witnesses to the gospel, um, how the church is spreading through despite persecution and hardship. And it's absolutely this wonderful story. And, and I really believe that this is a, a dynamic book. It's not a static book. And what I mean by that, as we come to the end of the study, what we're going to realize it's a strange ending. And part of the reason for that is because the book of Acts doesn't really ever end, does it? Does the church ever stop advancing? No. Does the Holy Spirit ever stop empowering his people? No. And so this is the beautiful reality which we get to celebrate today. Now, for those who are visiting today or if you're new, uh, and you don't know where we've been in this book? Well, we've been looking at this book called Acts, and it's written by a man named Luke. And what was Luke's occupation? Physician. He was a doctor. He, he, he created this historical account. And this his, historical account is the way that God shapes and forms his church after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's this account of how the Holy Spirit comes into the life of the church and empowers them to be what, as Acts 1-8 tells us, to be... I know it was a long way to go back in chapter 1, but he sure empowers us, chap, Acts chapter 1, verses 8, to be a W word... Witnesses, a little more conviction. Witnesses. witnesses, right? Empowers us to be witnesses, witnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ that he has risen from the dead and that he is king over all creation. And so we've walked through these uh, 28 chapters, which is really 30 years of history, quite an expansive amount of history. And we've, we've looked at Three different areas. We've been in three different continents during this story. We have a church that birthed in Jerusalem, and we see expanding to key areas like Antioch and Ephesus and all these places. Uh, the church is going through Asia and Europe and Africa. It's just expanding like crazy in this early century of the church. Now, in chapter 8, we're going to, or 28, we're going to continue to see what God is doing and ultimately what He is calling us to do. So let's read this passage of Scripture together and then we're going to 
ponder it and hear what God has for us. So Acts chapter 28, we're going to go verses 17 right to the end. And so at this point in the story, Paul has finally arrived in Rome. Amen? That's what he wanted. He wanted to get to Rome, but how did he get there? In chains, arrested. Not exactly the circumstances, but this is what he wanted. He appealed to Caesar, he appealed to Nero, and this is where he ends up. So verse 17 of chapter 28, and it says, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. But when they examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar." though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect... We know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some of them were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul, after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the end of Acts. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you. And Lord, we pray that as we read this story of Scripture, that we would realize to be the church, to be Christians, to be followers of Jesus, it is not just to have an intellectual knowledge, but actually to be invited into a story, to be invited into the mission and kingdom advancement that you are accomplishing. 
And so, Lord, we pray that as we end this story in Acts 28, Lord, that we would ourselves see our part in the story of your redemption, your reconciliation, the spreading of good news of Jesus across the world. And so inspire us, teach us, convict us, we pray today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's, let's just ponder these last few verses for a second. I mean, we, we come to the end of Acts, and does it not seem a little anticlimactic to anyone? <laughs> uh, we've been walking through the story of Paul, and we've talked about his conversion, and we've talked about him planting churches, and we've seen all the mighty things he's been doing in raising up leaders, and we see the persecution and hardship he faces, and there's all this drama of him getting arrested Uh, first convicted by the Jews and then arrested by the Romans and then he appeals to Caesar and we know that Caesar at the time was Nero and Nero was a horrible person to Christians, right? And we're wondering what's going on and what's going to happen after this um, trial. And yet, do we have any answers to those questions? (laughs) Who here hates cliffhangers? Anyone? (laughs) Uh, This is like the classic Netflix strategy, right? I think this is how Netflix became so popular because they started developing all these shows and instead of having like a two-hour movie or something, they turn it into like five 30-minute episodes and every episode ends with what? A cliffhanger. What does that force you to do? You have to watch the next episode, right? Uh, That's ingrained in us. That's how we function. That's how our minds work. And so to end the book of Acts, like there's, there's, there's so much pondering and questioning of why would Luke do this? Well, he's a historian. Why wouldn't he give the full historical account? And there's, there's many concepts to begin to answer that question. But at the end of the day, we don't know 100% sh- sure why he ended it like this. But there are some implications of what's going on. Well, we end up abruptly here. And what's fascinating is we don't have any answers from the Bible necessarily, what happens to Paul next. Um, even when we go to some of the early uh, church uh, historical accounts, we, we look at places like Clement of Rome, there's the Muratorian canon, there's the, the massive church historian Eusebius, there's Christendom who had a bunch of sermons on Acts. None of them really give an answer to exactly what happened in Paul and Rome here. However, we know that from some tradition that most likely Paul was released after these two years or sometime after these two years. And and even Luke sort of gives us a little bit of a hint uh, because Paul, how long was he waiting for this trial? Two years, right? Two years he's under house arrest. That's a long time to wait for this trial. And so that might be a little hint for us that at the end of the day, his accusers, the Sadducees, probably didn't show up to actually put him to trial. And I'm sure after a while, after his accusers didn't show up, they would have released him. And history tells us that Paul most likely would have been released, but guess what happened even after he was released? What would happen to Paul once again? He would be arrested again, and how do we know, or how does Paul's end, life ultimately end? Does anyone know? He's martyred under Emperor or Caesar Nero, right? And so that's the end of Paul's life. And so we don't know that from the story of Acts here, but we know that from a little bit of historical accounts of what would ultimately happen to Paul. 
And so we come to this book, then we, we begin to ask again, Luke, why, why would you end in this matter? Why don't you give us all those details of what ultimately happened? And, and I think part of the answer to that question is Luke is actually teaching us something here. As we as the church read this story, as we contemplate what is going on in the life of Paul, um, we aren't told definitely what happens in Paul and Acts because is Acts all about Paul? No. It's all about the Holy Spirit empowering God's people to be witnesses to the gospel, right? It's all about the expanse of the church. Now we could ask, why doesn't Luke tell us more about that then? And the answer would be, because it's still happening today. It's still going on today. This, this is Luke's way of saying uh, to the Roman Empire almost, you can imprison Paul, you can do all these things and ultimately even kill him, but the end of the story of the church doesn't end. It continues. It expands. And the story has been expanding for 2,000 years, Amen. The reason we are here is because the story of the kingdom advancement has occurred for the last 2,000 years. And so we, we have to realize one of the key things when we, we come to a passage like this and an ending to the book like this is, is the scriptures don't just tell us the story of Jesus, right? The scriptures don't just tell us the story of Jesus. That's not their full intention, just to give us information. The Scriptures actually invite us into the story of Jesus. Amen? Does that make sense? Where, where we're not just looking at a historical account, we're, we're looking at a story of God's work that we as the church are a part of and included in. Therefore, it's not just the story of the New Testament church, it's really the story of who we are as the people of God. And there's almost this wonderful invitation that comes with this cliffhanger in Acts, is this question for us as the reader, are we going to join this mission? Are we going to join this story? Are we going to join in what God is doing through His church and I love the, the New Testament uh, scholar, N.T. Wright. You guys know he's one of my favorite scholars. And, and he puts it like this. I think this phrasing is perfect. He says, The authority of the Bible is the authority of a love story in which we are invited to take part. Amen? Where, where the, the, the authority of the story of Acts and we see the kingdom expansion through the witnesses of the gospel is a story in which we are invited to take part. And the, the book of Acts then in many ways ends with this question of are we as the readers going to take part in this story? Are we going to be the witnesses which we were called to from the very beginning of the story? And so the story then continues in the life of the church and the life of churches throughout history, throughout geography, all over the world, and it continues in our lives across our community. It continues in our countless opportunities to share the gospel with our neighbors. It continues in the way that we love and disciple our children. It continues in every aspect of our life as we continually pursue God's purposes and mission in this world. And so really when we think about coming to the end of the story of Acts, the, the story of Acts is such a small little footnote in the life of the church. 
Like, think about it. We're talking about 30 years of the life of the church. How long has the church existed now? Over 2,000 years, right? We're talking about a little footnote in what God has done throughout history and what he calls his people to do. Now, before we jump into more of the story of Acts, and I want to look at the example of Paul and and some of the things in chapter 28, but before we do that, I think we need to take a step back and make the connection, first of all, to the command of Jesus. Because the church then, in, in living out the story of the church in Acts, we're really, first and foremost, living out the calling that Christ gave us. And that's in another chapter 28, in Matthew chapter 28. And what does Jesus tell his disciples in Matthew 28? Therefore, go and make disciples, right? Let's process that verse for a second. This is really the foundation for why we exist as a church. So Jesus comes to them, and what does he say? He says, all what? All authority... And heaven and earth has been given to me. So think about this for a second. When when Jesus says all authority, this comes from a man who has beaten death. Amen? This comes from a man who has resurrected from the dead. This is a man who told a storm to stop storming. (laughs) This is wild. And so when Jesus talks about all authority, this is what we're hearing. This is the man who drove out demons. Jesus has the authority. And then he says, do what? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Right? Go. And make disciples of all nations. In other words, our calling as the church is to continue exactly what the story of Acts begun that we began making disciples, we began teaching and training and instructing people how to follow Jesus, how to be part of the story of God, and we do that where? Where we go. It's funny, this concept of all nations and this concept of go, it's, it's almost like I could imagine the disciples coming to, to Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, you want us to make disciples? Like, where are we supposed to go? And I just imagine Jesus' answer is just, Yes, go. <laughs> yes, that's your answer. Yep, go. That, wherever you are, wherever it may be, make disciples. And that movement of the church is going to impact the entire world. And have we not seen that church? Amen. I mean, next weekend we're going to be celebrating together what God is doing in an underground church, and I'll share more about that later because I don't want it on the live stream, but we see the, the gospel spreading to all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. In other words, we go, we baptize, we teach, we, we do all these things, and, and here's the beautiful reality that Jesus gives us. And he says, behold, What? I am with you always to the end of the age. Hallelujah, amen? Amen. And here's the beautiful promise here. You see a bracket. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and I am with you. 
What more confidence do you need to go and be witnesses to the gospel, right? Jesus says, whatever hindrance, whatever hardship, whatever persecution, whatever pushback, I have authority and I'm with you. How much confidence should that give us? And I mean, let's, let's just process for this. Like what mentality, what characteristic should be created in us just because of that? Let's just brainstorm, church. Confidence, right? Fearlessness. Boldness. A steadfastness. An excitement. A joy. God is with us. That was pretty good. I, was, I didn't want to make sure anyone left out, but that was really good. And, and so we, we process this and we say, wow, like God, look at, look at what you have done in our life. And, and, and if we want to see examples of all the things we just said, if we want to see an example of the fearlessness and the courageousness and the boldness and the steadfastness, is the Apostle Paul not a pretty good example for us? Amen. Now, obviously, we're not all going to be of the Apostle Paul. We don't all have the same calling as him, but I, I do want to focus on some of this last chapter of Acts 28 because I think it gives us a, a vision. I think it gives us a beautiful example of what this could look like because at the end of the day, we need to hear these words from Jesus because if we ne- learned anything from Acts, is there going to be hardship in the mission? 100%. And so if there's going to be hardship in the mission, we, we better have a few foundational things sure. We better know that Jesus has all authority. We better know that Jesus is with us. Or, or we are going to be completely overwhelmed in the mission. And so all throughout the book of Acts, we, we see the beauty of the church and the story of Paul who is continually oppressed and persecuted by the Jewish people and even by the Romans. And and you think of what kind of love does it take and what kind of confidence and boldness does it take to continue in that mission. And here's what's wild when we think about it. Um, When we look at the story of Acts, um, Paul goes to a people. And and in verse 17, we realize um, who is the first and foremost people that Paul would continually go to once he went to a new city? Does anyone remember? He'd go to the Jews, right? He'd preach the gospel to them. There was that Old Testament connection. There was that narrative connection of who is the Messiah, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets through Jesus. And what happened to Paul every time he would go to a new city and preach to the Jews? He would get beat up. He would get ridiculed. He would get mocked, Right? Who enjoys getting beat up and ridiculed and mocked? No one. And yet, even at the end of the book, what do we see Paul doing? Same strategy. And and to the point where he even comes to them, and this is their response. This is what they say to him. We want to hear from you and your views for regard to this sect. In other words, what was called the way at first, the way of Jesus, which turned into disciples, right? The disciples were first called Christians at what city? Antioch, right? And, and we, we, we see this movement happening, and these Jews are saying, what we know is that everywhere in Judaism, it is what? Spoken against. Why? Because they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so we see this struggle of the early church. I mean, there's slanders and misunderstandings. And yet Paul goes boldly to this people even when he knows there's going to be opposition. 
even when he knows they're going to be pushed back, even when he knows there's going to be accusations and persecutions and misunderstandings and slanders, right? All these things Paul still knows, and yet he advances in mission. Amen? And here's the beautiful thing. We know that we see the, the early church with opposition. And yet, what other attributes do we see of the church throughout the story of Acts? Well, what do we see? We see at the very beginning, Acts 2. The Lord was doing what? He was adding daily to their numbers. We see the church growing daily to those who are being saved. Acts 6, we see the disciples were increasing in numbers. We see Acts 6, 7, the word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase. Acts 11, the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts 12, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Acts 16, the churches were increasing in number daily. Acts 19, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Acts 19, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. That's in the midst of opposition, amen? And here's something I think we have to realize in our, our, our current culture climate today, so to say. When, when we look at the world and culture around us, and we see a growing animosity to Christianity, 100% we do. There is a growing animosity. There is a lot of misunderstandings. There is a lot of slander that there's, there's no really basis of at some points. There's, there's this um, sense in which um, evangelical Christians specifically are sort of seen as outsiders to our culture and society. There was actually a new uh, study done, I think it was Angus Reid poll, and it was basically a new statistic done that some of the most Canadians believe the most harmful people to Canadian culture and society is evangelical Christians and Muslims, right? We don't have a good reputation right now, do we? Now, there's some reasons for that. I have to clarify, it's not all because of gospel proclamation. There are some reasons for that, but we know as well it's because the gospel in many ways confronts us in ways that we don't want to be. And, and when we look at our current cultural moment, we can say, you know what, we, we should pull back at this time. We should just allow this cultural flow to continue and we'll just go into survival mode and we'll try and hang out and make sure we survive this season. Is that the answer of the church? No. The church advances despite these things. The church advances and continues despite the hardship and oppression and persecution that it faces. And so what do we do when we face opposition for our faith? Well, Paul gives us a very beautiful example because Paul reveals to us that even in opposition, we love. We love. We, we tell people about Jesus because we love them. And, and so we, we, we look at verse 24 even. And, and Paul says this in, in verse 24. He's preparing to have conversation with them, and he's sharing the gospel with them, and he's witnessing to them, and he's doing everything that he's supposed to do. He's a heart for his people, a heart for people who are even rejected him. 
And he's completely made himself vulnerable to rejection, right? And this is exactly what we see in verse 24. It says that as he's teaching the Jews about Messiah, some were convinced by what he said, but what? What was the other category? Others disbelieved. Now, Paul puts himself in a very vulnerable position here. Imagine if we were Paul. Not only are we under your house arrest in a difficult circumstance in life, we're, we're engaging with people that we already know are going to be in opposition against us. We're engaging with people that are already trying to slander and push back the movement to which Paul was a part of, the church. Not only that, he spent all this time organizing, he spent all this time studying to engage, he spent all this time praying for them, he's spending day and night literally pleading with them, answering their questions, testifying to the gospel, putting all this hard work and effort in, and yet what, what still happens? Some still disbelieve. There was still a rejection. Now, some of us have a fear of rejection, Who has a fear of rejection here? (laughs) Most of us in some subtle form have a fear of rejection. And and so to put ourselves in a vulnerable position where we could be rejected becomes incredibly threatening. But, But Paul realized because Christ has authority, because Christ was with him, there was no threat to rejection. Paul literally lived a life of rejection. And and so Paul responds in such a beautiful way in the midst of this rejection. And and Paul brings a little theology out as he he realizes that some are stepping away from the faith, that some are disbelieving. And and Paul is rejected just as the gospel he preaches is rejected. And, And he brings up a passage from Isaiah here. And this passage of Isaiah is a very interesting passage from the prophet as well. And uh, it, it comes right in the middle of verses 25. It's there, Renee, sorry. It's quoted in the Scripture. Sorry if I confused you. So it's right in sort of verse 25, 26 there. And it says, And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. So basically, they reject Paul and his message, and he says this quoting Isaiah. He says, The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. And and he's bringing up this language from Isaiah to basically confront them and saying, you, you know what, your hearts are hardened before God. Your hearts are hardened before God. You, you won't know the salvation that God has for you until God opens your, art, uh, your eyes and your mind and your heart. And, and really, we, we, we talk about this and there's the mystery going on here of what does it look like for God to soften our hearts? What does it look like for our hearts to harden over God? But what, what I want to say out of this is, is Paul never lost hope in his love for these people. Paul never gave up preaching the gospel, amen? 
And so there's going to be people in your life, family, friends, coworkers, whatever it may be, who may be extremely antagonistic to the gospel, who may mock you, who may ridicule for your faith. What's your response? Do you go in argument mode? Do you go in defense mode? Do you start mocking their beliefs? No. Paul's example is love. And Paul's example is risk. And Paul's example is even a willingness to be rejected to share the gospel with them. And so Paul rests in this to the greatest extent to the point where we come to the end of the book of Acts and even through all the rejection, even through all the imprisonment, even through all the difficulties, what do we still see Paul doing? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all what? Boldness. Isn't that a key word that Luke uses there? And without hindrance. In other words, there was nothing holding Paul back from sharing the gospel at this point in his life. Nothing holding him back to fulfilling the calling and mission to which God had given him. And so we don't see Paul at this point of his journey. He doesn't despair that so many people are walking away. He, he doesn't quit. He, he doesn't get overwhelmed and get discouraged. No, he says, once again, Jesus has all authority. Jesus is with me. Even though my circumstances say completely otherwise, and I trust him and I proclaim the gospel faithfully. Amen? Beautiful life of Paul, beautiful life of Paul. And so when we come to us then and we begin to ponder the end of Acts and we begin to ask, well, what does God have for us? Well, we, we first of all need to realize that Acts doesn't end because it's still being written, amen? And guess who it's being written through? People like you, not just us, right? <laughs> We understand the church is much bigger and larger. The movement is much grander than just us. We can never have an insulated mentality of the church. God is doing great and mighty things far beyond us, but He is doing it with us. And He's working with us. And I think one of the challenges that we face is as we go through our life and as we live our daily things that we just begin to think that we're writing our own story, right? We begin to think our life is our own. We begin to think our plans are our own. Where Acts forces us back into the story of God. Acts forces us back into the purposes of God. Acts forces us back into where our priorities should be in fulfilling what God has called us to. And it's this beautiful invitation again of will you join the story of God? Will you jump in and continue this beautiful story of God's redemption, of God's expansion of his kingdom throughout this globe? Will you give your life to this story? And so I'm going to get you just to, to bow with me and pray. And we're just going to process this with God for a moment. And I'm going to invite the team to come up if you guys want to. But as we, as we process this together, let's just, let's just sit in the presence of God. And I just want you to ask the question, what is my life all about? What is my life all about? 
What am I living for? What is the story that I'm creating? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's only the story of God that is going to last for eternity. The stories that we live for ourselves are ultimately going to become meaningless. At the end of the day, we, we and our plans and purposes will be forgotten in history. But the work of the Lord and the calling which God has bestowed upon us, that's going to last into eternity. And not only that, but that is going to be celebrated by the church for eternity. So what's the story that you're living out of? So I'm just going to leave a moment of silence. You can have that conversation with God. And then I'll close this in prayer. So just talk to God. Have that conversation with Him. Gracious Father, first of all, we come to you in confession. That so often what we live for has nothing to do with you. So often what we strive for in this life has nothing to do with your purposes and plans. So Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. And Lord, I pray that at the same time that you would inspire us to something greater. The greatest story, the greatest movement the world has and will ever know. The movement of your kingdom expanding throughout this world. The movement of your redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness and healing, and salvation, and justice, and righteousness permeating throughout this world. So Lord, I pray that as we come to the end of our study in Acts, that you would remind us that Lord, it is now our calling as your people to fulfill the mission of your church to fulfill your mission through the church, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us such a great sense of belonging to a greater purpose in our life so that every little decision we make would be so wrapped up in what you're doing that it would produce such a joy and a purpose and a meaning and a value that can only come from you, our gracious God. So, Lord, we pray that anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, that this would be a time and space as well as they explore 
these questions, these existential questions of meaning and purpose and value, Lord, that they would find their answer in you and that you would draw them to yourself and that they would experience your salvation. For the one and true God, our Lord Jesus Christ, has the power to save. So, Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us this morning. We just pray that we would continue to worship you with reverence and awe. And, Lord, that even now, before we even leave this building, that we would be submitting our lives to you. For, Lord, in humbling ourselves to your purposes, humbling ourselves to your calling, Lord, that is actually where we find the abundance of life that we all long for. And so we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would instill that in us now. Thank you, gracious God, we pray. Amen.